Welcome to episode three of TKS Innovators. I'm your host, Naveed. I'm the executive director of the Knowledge Society. Before this, I started a company called AirPost, which was acquired by Box.com, where I was the head of machine learning and artificial intelligence there. Um, now, I run a program to train Olympic-level innovators who also happen to be high school students. Today, I'm with Brianna, and we're going to be talking about quantum computing and quantum cryptography. So, Brianna, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, so I'm in grade nine. Um, I've recently been interested in quantum key distribution and quantum computing, and I'm 14 right now. So how did you get into like all this quantum stuff? So it was mainly in grade eight and grade seven that I became a super mega nerd for physics. And I was like, wow, this stuff is really interesting. So I explored like the classical physics concepts. And then then suddenly I came across this video on quantum computing. And I was like, like, this is the future. This is some really interesting stuff. And at the moment, I found that the concepts were really hard. So I actually gave up in grade seven when I first discovered quantum computing. But since I joined TKS, I've had these mentors and they've been telling me, you know what, like, just go into it anyways. And especially because I've had experiences where my physics teachers, they were like, Brianna, what are you doing? You're only in grade nine. You don't even understand classical physics. How could you possibly touch quantum computing or quantum cryptography? So that's really how I got into it. And I sort of just pushed on from there. And recently, I've actually been doing a quantum cryptography course on EDX, and that's really where I've gotten the basic foundational knowledge in addition to using other resources, mainly being YouTube videos and articles that people have posted in the field. Yeah. So I think when a lot of people hear things like quantum computing or quantum cryptography, um, they think it's related. Are they related or are they two separate things? Well, they're actually two completely separate things. Now, although they do have the name quantum in them, um, quantum, quantum cryptography really focuses on the security aspect. So that would be cryptography. So people actually trying to hack information, whereas quantum computing would be trying to maximize the amount, the compute, the computational power of things. Yeah. So let's step back and just talk about quantum for a second. So for those people that don't know, like what is quantum? So quantum refers to quanta, which is actually a packet of light. And we think when we think of packets of life, we can also go back to photons. So photons are light particles. And overall, when we're talking about quantum things, we want to look at things on a very small scale. So we think of an atom. Now we can go even further back into that, thinking of electrons and protons. And electrons are an example of a quantum particle. So what is it what does it mean to be, you know, have quantum cryptography or quantum computing? Like, what is the similarity there? So let's just go back to quantum computing. And specifically for quantum computing, we know how a classical computer, we're using bits of information. So that would be binary, so zeros and ones. But for quantum, so we use qubits, which are quantum bits. And um, since these quantum, these quantum bits actually follow um, quantum mechanics, quantum mechanics, um, properties. So let's say we're talking about superposition. So we know that a binary, you know that in a classical computer, a computer can be in the state of one and zero. But in a quantum computer, it can be one, zero, and one and zero at the same exact time. And that's actually what we call a quantum, that's actually what we call a quantum superposition. Yeah. So what is, how is that benefiting us versus bits? Like what's the, why does it make it so powerful having a quantum superposition versus our normal ones and zeros and computers? So 
the the main thing about quantum computers is that it's going to actually jack up our computing power. So instead of only being in the binary numbers of one and zero, of course, we can be in one and zero. And that just increases the possibilities of which we could compute. For example, let's say that I have a very easy Let's say that I have a very complex probability question like, oh, what is the probability of this photon actually interacting with this other particle? Now, when you think about that question, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, there are so many possible probabilities of what could happen. But a quantum computer could actually scale this up and possibly calculate the probability if engineers and physicists work together to create a large scale quantum computer. So that's the main thing. It's just being able to um, compute on a very large scale with a lot of p power. So what are some applications of quantum computers, you know, when they come out? So some applications would be, first of all, artificial intelligence. And as we know, artificial intelligence is basically a machine's ability to learn how to do a specific task. For example, we could possibly map a human genome. And let's say that we're actually trying to edit a specific part of that genome. Now, as one would imagine, there would be a, a gigantic list of things that would actually happen to the genome and the other and the other DNA in that human in the human body, right? But a quantum but a quantum computer, it can actually look at all these possibilities and look at all the probabilities of something like that happen, and then scale it so that a human like us can actually see the possibilities. But a classical computer wouldn't be able to do this. So we can use an example of let's say a maze. So for a classical for a classical computer, it can only go through one path of the maze. But for a quantum computer, it can actually go through all of the variety of paths in that maze to eventually find the most efficient or best possible route that we could actually get to the final destination. So if we kind of take that concept of a maze and we apply it to passwords, right? So today, if we're checking a password and we want to guess a password, we have to do it one at a time, right? Are you saying with quantum computing, we could basically guess all the passwords at the same time, kind of like the maze? Yeah, exactly. So what a lot of people are worried about in the security industry is that um, the current cryptography methods that we have in place will have to completely change because right now, so people, the, they'll be it, it's actually called breaking the code. That's what hackers use to find passwords, right? They're trying to break the code. They're trying to get the information or the password by using several possibilities of what the password could, could potentially be. But now we have a quantum computer and we can actually um, compute all the several possibilities of that password. And maybe possibly in seconds in the future, we, we would now have the password to that account. So is that why this whole field of quantum cryptography has emerged? Uh, yes, exactly. So what quantum cryptography is doing is they're basically trying to create an unhackable method of sending information between two people. So specifically, we can actually talk about quantum key distribution. And quantum key distribution is, again, a method of unhackable information, is a method of, of, way we, of a way that we can send unhackable information. So just to get the basic fundamentals of quantum key distribution, we can have the example of Alice, Bob, and Eve. So Alice, in this case, will be the sender, Bob will be the receiver, and Eve will be the person who is trying to intercept this information. So let's say that Alice is trying to send some information to Bob. So first of all, she's going to encode this information in a photon. And a photon is an example of a quantum bit, or what we call to be a qubit. So she's going to encode this information in a photon, and then she's going to send this to Bob using a quantum channel. And right now, there's actually two methods of using quantum key distribution. So we can either use a quantum satellite 
which is what some people in China are currently doing at universities. So that's what they've experimented with. But we can also use the method of using a fiber optical cable, optical cable to actually send the information. So either using the quantum satellite or the optical fiber cable, that's going to be our quantum channel. And that's where we're going to send these photons are these photons on. So first of all, we have Alice. She's the sender. She's sending the information encoded in a qubit to Bob on the quantum channel. And after she sends this information, she's going to use a, use a key. And this key is what Bob is going to use to actually decrypt the information to then receive it and see what Alice sent to her, sent to him. So first, as I said before, Alice sends the information uh, using a qubit. And then Alice also sends the key, which they have formulated beforehand. So first of all, I'll talk a bit about how the key is actually made. So um, the key is created by having Alice, she randomly selects the state of a quantum bit. So that could be either zero or one. So this is a complete random process. She selects the quantum state and then she, send this to, she sends this to Bob. Then on Bob's hand, he randomly selects another quantum state. This could be either zero or one. And they see if they're two they see if their two qubits actually match, so the states match. And if the state does match, then Bob does receive some, some information. And if the states don't match, then Bob is not going to receive any information. So in this example, we'll say that Alice sent um, the key with her quantum bit being in the state 1, and Bob predicts that the quantum state that the qubit's um, state will be in state zero. So in this case, they didn't receive any, any information. And they're going to keep on uh, repeating this process until they have formulated a key. So once they have formulated the key, they're going to go on their classical channel. So we have a quantum channel and a classical channel. And this is where they're going to check their results to then formulate the key together. So between the information that they got that, that actually matched, so when Alice chooses a uh, chooses the qubit to be in the one state and Bob chooses the qubit to be in the one state as well. That's when their information matches and using that they're going to formulate a key and this will also check the error rate to see if anybody was trying to intercept the information at any time. So now that um, Alice and Bob have actually formulated their key, now we can go back onto the quantum channel where Alice will send her information, then Alice will send the key and using this key when Bob receives the information, Bob can then decrypt this. So where the unhackable aspect of this comes in is when we have Eve, which is the person who's trying to intercept the information, but it's actually completely impossible using the laws of quantum mechanics, which when you think about is insane, right? So um, there's, all, there's actually this principle called the uncertainty principle. And what this states is that somebody, can, somebody cannot measure the velocity and position of a quantum particle. And these are two these are two characteristics of a quantum particle that that would be inside that quantum channel. So you need these two states to actually find out what the information is. And since since it is impossible to let's say find the velocity of the quantum particle, but not be able to find the polarization or the or the position of that particle. So polarization is pretty much the spin of the particle. So let's say we can have spin up or down, which is similar to the position. So as I said before, since since according to the uncertainty principle, it's impossible to find the velocity of a particle and in addition to that, the polarization of the particle, then technically this information is actually unhackable. And so that's going to be absolutely amazing for people in the security industry. Um, let's say when I'm when we're sending information between two governments, per se, and this is really confidential data, because once we have the rise of quantum computers, as I said before, who can actually be able to hack this information and possibly decrypt the information using a quantum computer, 
having a method such as quantum key distribution to actually solve this problem will be absolutely amazing. So let's switch gears now and talk about quantum computing. I know you're working on a lot of really interesting things. So can you tell us a little bit about a little bit more about what you're doing in that area? So right now I'm actually learning about quantum gates and gates are the things that we put on a quantum composer. So essentially what a quantum composer is, it's let's say, let's take the example of music. So you read music on a sheet, on like a music sheet. Now that's the same thing for a quantum program when we're trying to run these gates. So it's called a quantum composer and they're made up of quantum series, which is exactly where the qubits are and where we're actually putting the gates on to then change the state of the qubit. To, allow, to enable it to do so. So as I said before, I'm actually exploring this, this sort of field and just learning about the gates themselves. And specifically, I've been using this thing called uh, IBM Q experience, where we can actually like try to simulate on a real quantum computer and just on a simulation at home. So I've been really just going through YouTube videos and learning about all the types of gates and trying to comprehend the math behind it. Because as most people know, the math and physics behind quantum computers is, you know, only a bit complex. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what I've been trying to understand at home. And as I do, as I actually watch these YouTube videos and I try to apply the gates on the quantum composer itself, and I see the changes in the states of the qubits. So that's been really fascinating to, fascinating to me right now. And it's specifically what IBM is working on. But I know that D-Wave is also doing something different as well as Microsoft. So something that I want to do in the future would be uh, actually explore the quantum computer development kit that Microsoft created. And pretty much it uses this programming called Q-Sharp. And that's what we use to create these quantum algorithms and program the computer. So that's what I want to do next. But first of all, I'm going to really learn about all the gates on the all the gates on the quantum composer and try to apply them in the correct way. Cool. So what has been some of the struggles as you've been learning about quantum computing or quantum cryptography? As I said before, I'm only in grade nine and actually my grade nine math is in semester two and right now it's semester one. So I haven't even taken grade nine math, but um, quantum computing and just quantum information in general requires linear algebra as long as like other complex topics like eigenvalues, eigenvectors, and a bunch of other things. So that's what I've been trying to really conceptually understand and actually apply. For example, and th that's what the course has taught me a lot, the EDX course on quantum cryptography. So we also looked at like tensor products and how to change the state of a qubit and how to multiply two qubits together and actually represent that in linear combinations and other linear methods, right? So that's been the most confusing part. And really what I find at home is that when I'm actually looking at the content and trying to comprehend it, I always go through these times where I'm like, why am I doing this to myself when I could, you know, do something easier, you know, go watch a movie movie, have fun with my <laughs> friends. And then I just look at my laptop and I'm like, oh no, but I, I love this stuff. This is what actually makes me excited. And the feeling that I get when I actually conceptually understand a concept and I'm like, wow, that is that is unbelievably cool. So that's the, re that's the motivator that pushes me to keep going even when I have trouble with the math or trying to understand something. And especially because quantum physics, it's not something that that somebody can answer somebody can understand using classical physics i mean the phenomena are are absolutely amazing and astounding you would never think to believe that a particle could be in two states at the same time two states at the same time right that doesn't make any sense at all but 
the, the math and physics proves that it is actually possible. So when I'm approaching this, first of all, there's that shock, shocking factor that I find that like, wow, I can't believe this is actually happening on a quantum scale. And yeah, that's what really keeps me keeps pushing me forward. What would you say to other people, whether they're students or adults that, you know, want to look into more complex topics, but they just might have that barrier of, oh, this might be too hard for me to understand or, oh, I don't have the base level of knowledge yet. I say, honestly, go for it anyways. Like, as I said before, I had that physics teacher who looked at me as if, as if I was some like messed up, crazy girl trying to understand quantum mechanics. But even so, you're going to have a lot of moments where, as I said, you're going to feel like you don't want to do this anymore and you just want to go to go do something easy. But you should also think about all of those kids and all of those adults who are doing something really amazing. And of course, this takes a lot of work. But in the end, when you think of the end result, like let's say for me right now, that would be completing the quantum cryptography course. Like, of course, I'm struggling right now. But once I complete it, once I have that degree of, oh, I'm a 14 year old who got this quantum cryptography course, that's absolutely amazing. And you could apply it in many ways, especially to quantum computing, because it's going to have its inflection point in future years to come. So where do you see yourself going with all this research? Do you have any like specific um, areas that you want to go deeper in or are you kind of just following your passion and curiosity right now? Yeah, right now, I'd say I'm definitely just following my passion and curiosity and I'm going to just see where that takes me for now because I find that as I learn more about the field, I'm able to uh, see other things in real life like, oh, yes, this actually happened recently. Um, this is more of a quantum phenomena that I could apply to something. But let I was looking at the subway and I was just really bored for a second. And I was like, hmm, how could we actually make this more efficient and travel even faster? Because um, right now my commute takes like 30 minutes or an hour to school. So if I was thinking, well, maybe we can use quantum levitation or something of the sort to actually make the metro or the subway go even faster. So just like trying to apply these quantum phenomena to things in life that would make them more efficient and even faster and work a lot better. But so far, since I'm just learning about the field right now, I'm just going to let that take me and possibly and hopefully I find a way to innovate with this in the future. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show and spreading your knowledge about quantum computing and quantum cryptography with us, Brianna. No problem. I really enjoyed it.